Hey everybody, this is Larry Little and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where we talk with leaders about the moments in their life when they cross that line from leading with their head to leading with their heart and from leading with their heart to leading with their head. This is not a podcast about leadership. It's not about leadership tools or or things that you need to have. No, no. This is a podcast about leaders. And today we have an excellent leader on our podcast. His name? Kevin Perry. He serves as the chief of staff for uh, the Dynetics Group, a company of Lidos, and he he does much more than that. Kevin started out uh, his career actually in college playing uh, Division I football, and as he says, that's a job, and it was a job. He graduated from there and began working in the aerospace industry and and leading huge contracts, uh, billions with a B, uh, dollar contracts, and really made his way up the ladder because of who he is, because of his work ethic and his his character. Uh, he made his way uh, through this this career path so that he now sits as a young man, uh, as the chief of staff for an incredibly successful organization, uh, international organization in the aerospace industry. So Kevin has achieved all of those things, and that's that's really good. That's not why he's on this podcast. He's on this podcast because he has he has really grasped in his life. He, he's grasped the concepts of what it takes to be a strong leader. And I was so curious about that that I had to interview him and, and find out more about him. I truly like this young man. Uh, he understands hard work. One of the, the strongest things you're going to hear on this podcast is that Kevin doesn't make excuses. His father wouldn't put up with it. I can't wait for you to hear his story. He's got. I was inspired. He's just got a wonderful story, uh, something uh, that we all need to be reminded of. So I'll hush because I want you to hear from Kevin. Let's jump into the conversation with Kevin Perry right now. Welcome, Kevin. I'm so glad you're here uh, uh, to, to be at this podcast with me now. Uh, and because uh, in this Crossing the Line podcast, and people will, can, can, those that are on YouTube will see us, we look just alike. Yeah. Right? Huh? I'm thinking, I'm thinking we, we kind of have the same build. We're the same yeah. co- we look good. Uh huh. Uh, hey, we're close. We're right? close. Thank you. Thank you. We're close. Man, what, what an amazing young man you are, seriously. And I, when Thank I you. got to know you, I said, I gotta have him on the podcast because you know what leadership is all about. It it's it's who you are, it's what you've done. And I wanna spend a, some time just, just talking about that. You've accomplished so much, including playing Division One football. Uh, we don't want to minimize that. I wish you had played for, for Auburn, but no, you played for Marshall. <laughs> and uh, and that's amazing. So but but seriously uh, personally and professionally, you've worked hard. Yes, sir. And I'm so, so proud of you for that. And I want to thank you. Thanks for being a part of Crossing the Line today. Yes, sir. I'm glad to be here. So well, thank you for inviting me. We are glad to have you. We're going to start back. We're going to go back. Um, let's go back to about eight years old, what you'd say. Mm-hmm. And, and let's look at a, a day in the life of Kevin. Um, where did you grow up? Yeah. What was it like in your family? And kind of take us through. Let's start around eight years old. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 
So I'm from Gwinnett County, Georgia. Uh, that's east of Atlanta. And, um, you know, it's just me, my sister, mom and dad and my grandmother all in the same house. Right. You know, and I always tell people, like I had two moms right with my grandmother, which oh. I loved and, and also didn't love because can't get away with anything. But I <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, had one of those households where sister is extremely smart. So she kind of sets the bar when it comes to academics. Right. And it's like, mm, that's tough to beat. Right. Or meet. Uh, but had a very strict dad. Both loving parents, so mom was kind of the soft side, right? I see, go cry too. You know, dad was uh, academics and sports, but he held us to a standard, and he mm. started early, or like you couldn't slip. And so that's just kind of how my life was, young, and then approaching high school. Wait, I'm, just a minute, I got to go back. You're back here with dad, young. You said he he held you to standards. Yes, sir. What does that mean? Talk, talk well, I mean, that. you come in. This is the grades you're gonna get. This is the type of person you're gonna be. You're gonna look at an adult in the eyes. You're gonna. This is how you wow. talk. This, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Okay, don't miss this. This is where it started with his dad. He used the word standards. Hey, do you hear that word very much anymore when it comes to parenting? Man, I think we could all take a trip down memory lane and and pick up some history here and uh, because I think it makes a huge difference. Well, I know it does. Uh, Just look at Kevin. His dad set the standards for him. I'll give you an example. I think I was in middle school one time, and I just was, at the time, I just didn't really care about school. All I cared about was sports. And uh, I had got a C in the class, or I was getting a C in the class, and he didn't believe in Cs. And the teacher told him, she said, well, you know, Mr. Perry, maybe your son is a C student. And he looked her right in the face and said, my son is not a C student. And he kept that standard no matter who it was or who was t- talking to him. I love that. And so that's where, and I always tell my sister, I blame her because she was like straight A, just woke up with straight A, right? right? <laughs> yes. So yes. he made it, I, I told her, you made him think everybody can do that, right? <laughs> but he kept that standard throughout my whole life. So so he, you know, set this high standard for you. And that's, give me your opinion on this for a minute. We won't chase a rabbit. We'll yeah. come back. Um, I, we don't see that today in, yeah. in the youth of today. I think in the parenting world, I'm not saying everyone, I'm not, I'm, but I'm just saying uh, as we think about setting standards, it's almost become taboo to set high expectations and, and high standards for, for this young generation, I think. Yeah, and I think that's unfortunate. I mean, what? yes, a kid needs to be heard. I'm not saying don't listen to your child, et cetera, but they're a child. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing my dad was great at was recognizing, you know, you're a child and this is the standards I'm going to set and you're going to slowly adjust to that. I don't know about you, but man, this gives me hope. This gives me hope for our future generation. It gives me hope that that strong parenting is still alive and well. It gives me hope that we still have parents who aren't afraid to realize that a child is, well, a child. At the time, I just didn't really care about school. All I cared about was sports. Yeah. And uh, I had a, got a C in the class, or I was getting a C in the class, and he didn't believe in Cs. And the teacher told him, she said, well, you know, Mr. Perry, maybe your son is a C student. And he looked her right in the face and said, my son is not a C student. And Ooh, he kept yeah. that standard no matter who it was or who was t- talking to him. I love that. And so that's where, and I always tell my sister, I blame her because she was like straight edge, just woke up with straight edge, right? right? <laughs> yes. So yes. he made it, I, I told her, you made him think everybody can do that, right? <laughs> but he kept that standard throughout my whole life. So so he, you know, set this high standard for you. And that's, give me your opinion on this for a minute. We won't chase a rabbit. We'll yeah. come back. Um, I, we don't see that today in, yeah. in the youth of today. I think in the parenting world, I'm not saying everyone. I'm not. I'm, but I'm just saying uh, as we think about setting standards, it's almost become taboo to 
set high expectations and, and high standards for for this young generation, I think. Yeah, and I think that's unfortunate. I mean, what? yes, the kid needs to be heard. I'm not saying don't listen to your child, et cetera, but they're a child. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing my dad was great at was recognizing, you know, you're a child and this is the standards I'm going to set. And you're going to slowly adjust to that. Now, there are things. Now, did he did, he knew I wasn't my sister when it came to academics. Right. Right. So he my sister would get it. It was one of those. She gets a 97 on the test. She's going to complain about it. <laughs> he, he knew right. <laughs> that wasn't me. Right. But he said, you can, I know your capability and you're going to stick to what I know you can reach. Mm-hmm. And that was A's and B's. Throughout, there was no exceptions. I mean, you didn't get an A or a B, you're going to lose something, right? Wow. Whether you're not going to play a sport. I mean, I knew he was serious when he pulled me out of basketball one year. Like, I'm like, wow, he's not playing. And then one thing I thought he would never touch was football. In ninth grade, I got a C on a couple tests in a row, and he sat me out in the game in football. And I'm like, man, I cannot so wait, play your, around. your dad set you out of a game? Yeah, I'm talking about didn't care what the coach had to say. Uh-uh, he said, you're not playing. You're not playing. What did the coach say? They, they begged him. I had teammates, coaches beg him. He said, no. Not only could I not play in the game, I couldn't even sit down with the team. He said, no, you're going to sit in the stands with me. Oh, my goodness. So if, that set a, if that doesn't set a standard, I don't know what does, Th- right? That got your attention. Oh, it definitely did. And then you see, I didn't get to see after that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, what a dad. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And you look at it back then as, man, he's too strict. Blah, blah, blah. I look at him now, and we'll get to that through this journey. I look at him now, and I'm so thankful for it, what oh, he did. Because wow. like he set a standard of, you're going to have to work hard for what you want. Yeah. There is no yeah. there's no workarounds. No. There's no steps you can skip. You want to get an A or B on that test, you have to study. Come on. Right? And things of that nature. You want this, you have to work for it. And he set that standard real early. And and also being loving didn't seem like it sometimes, right? Because he's yeah. you know, he's but he everybody right. has a role in their family. And that's what he did for us. All right, so we go back, we've got this dad who's setting that standard and and kind of the hard the hard one, right? And mom is more the more she's a soft one. Yeah, yeah she's, kind of the soft one. She, she's a soft one. She's what you lean on, on the other for everything else. So right? what what did you do? You're in Georgia, yes, sir. Growing up, you're you're eight or nine, we're still in that. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know, what did you do? During a day, did it include? Did it include athletics at that age? Oh, or not? definitely. I mean, in that age, you know, you don't see it like you see it back then. You know, where you're just playing, right? Right. I, I just go outside and play. You don't see. It, yeah. You don't see it as much. But I had study time. My, we had a room. We had to sit in. That's where I studied. Did all our homework. Like you had from this hour to that hour. Wow. And then, um, and then that's when I, you know, had my time to go play. Right. Whether it's good practice. So I was one of those kids. I had sports all year round. I'm in something all year round. Whether it's soccer, basketball, football, etc. I'm in something. Uh, karate. He even had us in karate at that age, around uh, around eight eight years old, nine years old. So you're in something. And then if I'm not in that sport, I'm not studying. I'm outside playing. And I think that's big too, right? Yeah. You know, helping with social skills, make friends, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I had a basketball goal outside my house. That was my favorite thing to do, of course. And, you know, where we have a football game in the neighborhood in somebody's yard or we'll play home run derby, whatever, oh, almost yeah. breaking windows, you know, <laughs> that type, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that type yep. of stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's my day in life. Come to school, do your homework. Go play, eat, et cetera, do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it worked well for me. So. Well, obviously it did, and but you had that you had that routine. And that's another thing I think, Kevin, that our children are missing. And you know, m- my mom used to say, "Go out and play, and be in by dark or whatever." And I'd go run the neighborhood. Yeah, we don't do that much anymore. And yeah. and I I know there's some valid reasons for yeah. that, but we've lost that ability to 
to go outside and be independent like yeah. you were. And like yeah. you said, find games and find people to, to socialize. But I, I think it's a, I think it's hurt our children. I think it yeah. hurts our development. So here you go. You're, you're now in junior high. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what's your first love? Basketball, football? Uh, soccer. Soccer. All right. Soccer was actually what I was best. I think even when I quit soccer, I was still better at soccer than I was football. Um, yeah, soccer was my wow. soccer was my first love. Like I, I was pretty good at that. Won championships with that. That was the only sport I actually went a true championship in. Wow. Went on travel ball. We were really really good. And then that transition actually happened when I was in middle school, moving uh, in eighth grade, moving to Alabama. And I just came and I, you know, none of my friends, you know, you're making new friends, right? And none of the, my new friends played soccer. They all were football players. And I said, I don't want to play. And my dad's like, are you sure? Because <laughs> that, that was my top sport. I was like, yeah, I want, you know, you're just a kid. You're just kind of going with the flow. Fit right? in. Yeah. So I was like, no, I want to play football now. Football ended up working out. But yeah, soccer was my first love. My goodness. And you, what position did you play in high school? I'm just curious. Uh, for football? Yeah. Uh, safety. Or a corner. And then I got moved to safety. But yeah. And that's what you played in? College. At Marshall. Yeah. 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 So so you're a high school Young man, you've you've moved here to Alabama, you know, trying to find your way, trying to fit in. What's it like for you being in that setting back in those days? You know, I can't. You come to a school and you don't know anybody. It is you're you're kind of you're scared. And I always tell my sister, you know, you, you got lucky. She got to stay. So we kind of split the family. Oh. Uh, mom stayed back with my sister until she graduated. Oh. My dad came, me and my dad went to Alabama, got a one bedroom apartment, straight, just like bachelor pad type oh, deal, two, two twin size beds, a lawn chair and a TV. My dad's probably like, why are you saying this on like, on the, you know, and, and that's where we stayed for a year, right? Really? Until my sister graduated and then my mom came back and moved over. So she didn't have to really go through that transition. Because, you know, they have the Hope Scholarship in Georgia, and there was right. a good reason why she stayed. Right. So just coming in, you know, not knowing a soul, thank God for sports. Uh, I think sports is one of those equalizers and allows you to uh, mm. to meet. You're forced to meet and greet. You're forced to make friends. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, you come in as the outsider, right? And I was like, who's this kid? Who are you? Like, you know, all these people have been clicked up their whole lives, you know, since they were five, six years old. And I'm 13, 14 coming in and they're like, who are you? And so coming in, making friends with football. And that's where I think my love really grew. Like, I loved it. Yeah. But then my love really grew because that's where I, you know, made new friendships that, Mm. you know, I had to make moving in. So, and that's when I really, really said, I really like the sport. I really like everything about it. And I kind of started, that's when I started focusing. was that eighth, ninth grade year. You could see the future of that. You could say, hey, man, I love this. And and I guess you had aspirations to play in college. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and transitioning in, your dad is just you and dad now. That mm-hmm. that's he's serious about it. He's I guess he still held held you to those standards. Oh man, we would have we had this little the, that black little card table that was our dining room <laughs> breakfast yeah. table, right? Yeah. And that's where I sat and did homework. And I mean, we he would I it was a history test specifically. I needed a high grade to make sure I made a B. And we sat there for hours, and I ended up getting a ninety eight in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and but that's what he taught. I was like, God, well, that sucked. He said, Well, son, that's what it took. Mm. You got to do what it takes to be successful in what you want to be successful in. And that's what it took. And that's kind of where I learned early, you know, 
nothing's going to be fair. Something's going to come easier to other people. People are going to have, you know, whether it's genetics, whatever it is, they may have that above you or their situation or how they grew up. You have to outwork and work harder and just as hard, whatever it takes to be successful. So that's, you know, those type of lessons. And that's what, believe it or not, I took the academics into sport. I didn't start training for sports. Like, I want to go to college to about ninth, 10th grade. It was more academics is what taught me that lesson. Wow. And then, you, and then I put that into sports on, okay, if I want to go to college, I can't do what everybody else is doing. Right. Mm. If you're doing what, if you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to have the same result they're having. I, I need to be the best. So you got to train the hardest. And you had that thought process. I, I had I started that thought process early. I want to say end of ninth grade. I want to say end of ninth grade. I started having that thought process where we're going out to the football field. We're doing extra drills and just me and him. We're going to this, there's this big hill across from Bob Jones. We're running up that big hill across from Bob Jones every week. I'm staying in the weight room. I would do two workout sessions, one with my basketball team, one with the football team. And I didn't have to. It's those are the things because I, I I wanted it. You wanted it and were willing to do more than what other people were yeah. doing is what I just heard. And your dad instilled that in you way early, back here. Early. Back to back. You want to talk about eight years old, right? Yeah. Back to eight years old. So let's let's kind of call time out for a minute. You're at ninth grade, 10th mm-hmm. grade, 11th grade. Talk to us. Help us to understand. Put us put us in in your shoes if you can. And talk to us about what it was like growing up in that era. You're a young African-American yeah. male um, in the South. Yeah. What was that like? I was, you know, it's funny. I'll give you my first uh, feeling like a minority, that true feeling. And maybe I didn't understand that feeling back then. So when I was in Georgia, we had more of a mixture. Yeah. Right. It was more of a mixture of white, black and other diversities. And then coming into I, when I moved to Alabama, it wasn't that case. What was it? Oh, it, it had to be 80-20, right? Wow. And so I walked in. First thing I said, sorry to be blunt, just me being yeah. a kid. First thing I said is, man, I don't see any black people, right? Because I'm used yeah. to seeing more. Right. Like, that's that's where was your, my comfort. That's where I was comfort. Yeah. That's my comfort zone. And uh, so coming in, that was one of the first things I had to get adjusted to. And so... You know, seeing seeing less of that, that was my first, like, man, I'm a minority. I, I'm not comfortable, you know, that type that deal. That was your first kind of awareness? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was my first awareness. Oh, I couldn't pinpoint it, right? It right. Saying my, I don't even think I was saying I'm a minority at that age. No, but, but you felt it. I felt it, mm-hmm. right? And looking back, so it was one of those, my first adjustments of, okay, having to be able to be around multiple different types of people and having to work in that and feeling uncomfortable. You know, what's that, what they call it, I learned it from sports, from a coach years ago, you know, get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. That's right. Right. And that's one of the, I say that's one of my first time. So, and that kind of, we'll talk later about that if we have time, right? Yeah. About that being comfortable, feeling uncomfortable, uh, being that in the workplace today. Right. And so that was one of my first lessons. We will get back to that yeah. for sure. I, I'm just curious now because I, I love hearing about your dad. I, did he help you with that thought process of, hey, I, all of a sudden there are no black people? I, 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 I don't know if he directly. Right. I think he put me in positions growing up where you're going to you to adjust and so it's not like because I, I don't think I've ever came to him and say man I'm the, it was just one of those things I'm here it's like some other people just like you just go out and that. and sports helps you with that like you know you don't see color mm-hmm. when you're in sports or you hear that in military a lot like you don't because we're all with the same goal that's right so even though I even me coming to Alabama and it was less African Americans it didn't impact me probably as much I was uncomfortable at first right but at the end of the day when I get on the football field with them 
I'm fine. When yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, when I'm on the basketball court with everybody, um, it's it's all cool. We got the same goal, and then you you build that friendships, and then you, now you're comfortable, and you kind of understand, you know, where you're at, and you feel good. I didn't, you know, I didn't. Thank God, I didn't have any direct, you know, racist instances where made me like really stick out right i may have had a little sly stuff right said yeah. to me growing up we all get that you know but nothing major you know so that's where i kind of got lucky and blessed and and you know being in a good place like madison alabama madison right that yeah, helps that's a bit different that, that's a yeah. that, that helps right because there are people in situations that can't say the same well for our podcast listeners who don't know that madison is is a part of alabama north alabama but really it is an anomaly yes um, it is a, 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 an area County and city that is is really very diverse, yep. high populace of scientists and researchers yep, because correct. this yeah. is kind of the the mecca of some of that work that NASA and the DoD yep. and others do um, around that. So just so you know, Madison is probably a I like to call it it's it really is like a bubble for yeah, for the rest of is. Alabama. True, yeah, yeah. yeah, true. Okay, go ahead. It's that melting pot, like you said, you talk yeah. to people now. Majority of people aren't from Alabama, yeah. or from Huntsville, right. or from Madison, right? right. So, um, yeah, and that's I was lucky to be in a situation, blessed to be in a situation mm-hmm. like that, and then. You know, my dad worked for Boeing for 27 years, mm. and he's been in that situation. Now, he has given me stories, and my mom has given me a story where they walk in the room, and they're only African-American on a daily basis. And so him, te- he probably didn't teach me that early eighth, ninth grade. I probably got more of those lessons, you know, 11th, 12th college and early in my career. Um, but that's one of the things, he, you know, he's a son. You're going to be in a room. You're going to walk in. You're going to be the only one like that. Yeah. You're going to be the only one that looks like you. And how you perform and how and how you present yourself is the most important thing, right? Because that initial perception means a lot. Man. And so, mm. just doing that and holding that every day, you know. I, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around. You're doing great. One of my very first interviews, you know, I didn't wear a suit. I wore the button up in the pants. I didn't wear a suit. My dad jumped down my throat. Did he really? Yeah. He says, <laughs> he says, you don't look like a professional. Why would I hire you? Learn my lesson quick, right? Gotta be a step up. Yeah, gotta be and hold yourself to a standard, mm-hmm. right? You gotta hold yourself to a standard constantly. So that's kind of so you want to say like going back to your original question of you know your introduction of being a minority and mm-hmm. how he helped me. It was a lot of indirect help. Yeah, it was a lot of see it. You, you know, this is what I go through on a daily basis. Be prepared, type deal. Mm-hmm. So, so you you're playing football and you're in high school. Now you you you're very successful. When did you know you were going to have a shot at Division One? Um, junior year, Vanderbilt, uh, came knocking and, uh, well, I went to a camp and then I performed a camp very well at, in Nashville at, Van- at Vanderbilt's facility and they came and they started recruiting. That's what me and my dad kind of looked like, oh, okay, this is getting real. <laughs> uh, I think UAB was my first offer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then Troy. And then they started piling in, right. You know, the Louisville's, the, the Marshall's, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, so that's senior year was real fun because, you know, I was blessed. I didn't have to worry about that. I already had a few scholarships underneath my belt. Mm-hmm. So I could just train and just play you football. You, so you made your decision before your No, no, no. I made my decision after. But I already, a lot of these kids, what they go through now uh-huh. is they go into their senior year, they won't have any scholarship offers. Okay. And they press too hard. Got it. They're not relaxed. And if anything, you want to relax and just play your best ball, right? Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough. I didn't have, I already had a couple underneath my belt. So I had to worry about it. So I had my best senior year I could possibly Love have. I had like 20 plus offers after that. Unbelievable. And then I got to enjoy the recruiting process, which is wonderful and fun, you know, because you see one side of the coaches you'll never see again, right? <laughs> Once you get you're on like, campus, like, they got you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I enjoyed the recruiting process, talking to different schools, talking to different coaches. 
in the it's funny the only school I went to without my dad was Marshall University that's the one that picked so he probably had a little worries while I was picking it right what, what was it what, what about I, Marshall my dad? so everybody not everybody a lot of people know in uh, 19 uh, 70, there was a plane crash that killed all 75 people, part of the football organization. Right. They made a movie all of it called We Are Marshall and Matthew McConaughey, etc. The f- the community is so close to the football team because of that tragedy, unfortunately. Oh, wow. And you, you walk in, you just, every campus, I just didn't see that amount of love. Yeah. Right? And so, and I just loved it from, from the very, from the time I landed. And, and my recruiting coach lied to me. You know, I'm a Southern boy. I, I landed, there was snow on the ground. I said, oh. He goes, oh, only snows like once every 10 years. No, it snows like once every 10 days. <laughs> but, <laughs> but besides so the fact, uh, I just love the community. I loved uh, everything I had. I loved the coaches. Uh, Mark Snyder was our head coach at the time. Loved him to death. Um, coach Cummings was recruiting me. I, it was just, it was my fit. It was my fit. I mean, and I think majority, because usually you recruit on your recruiting visit, you come with a, like a group of guys, like eight to 10 guys. Mm-hmm. I want to say out of that eight to 10, like seven of us committed on the last day, just because we we were all connected. That's amazing. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You played how many years? Uh, five. I was redshirted. And then mm-hmm. four years on top of that, got two degrees out of there. So, Unbelievable. So great experience for you. Right, right. Right fit for you. Right. Yes, sir. So what happens next? You graduate. You, you play ball. Graduate? Ever think about the next level? Yeah, I did. It's a ton of injuries. Yeah. And one thing that wakes you up, and I'm gonna back you up a little bit. A funny okay, story. Good. Uh, my <laughs> my dad calls me one day. It's like my sophomore year or third year, and he's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm in the library, and I've been in here the last three hours." It's like, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, this pro thing is kind of hard to make." <laughs> right. <laughs> so I started really focusing on academics, <laughs> and I graduated early. Right. So I got my bachelor's in three years and I got my master's in a year and a half because I was like, I need a, I need a, this is my opportunity. Yeah. So I buckled down. Really? I realized the NFL was extremely hard to get to. You right. can tell by the numbers. And so, yeah, I had a little thought, but injuries and things of that nature, I knew my path is I needed. And looking at how my dad went through life and his career path, that's what I wanted to do. You know, it's so wise of you, though, to say, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity yes. to get that education and, yep. and get the grad degree, degree after the undergrad degree. Wow. I mean, while under scholarship. Time. Yeah. And so not a student loan. They have to worry about any of that. And that's why I always tell some of the kids I talk to now, look, get it. Everybody has a dream of going and playing in the pros and making millions of dollars. We all do. Right. I said, but you're going to have a great opportunity to capture and get a degree and not to worry about mm. student loans. There's a lot of people that can't say that right now. My sister, I think she's a great successful lawyer. She's still paying off student loans. So wow. Wow. think about, you know, what you can take advantage from. So that's that. And when I got out of college, you know, you asked, what was my next thought process? Right. Well, immediately it was like, I'm gonna go work for Boeing. Well, coming out of the recession 2008, 2010, 2011 now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not hiring like it's hiring right now, no, right, in our right. industry no, in, right. in Huntsville, Alabama. So I started running a facility uh, where I trained athletes. What? Yeah, so I, I started, know you know, took my direct, you know, all right, I'm an ex-D1 football player. What do I know best or what can I get into right now and make some money? And I started training athletes. And uh, then finally Boeing called. I got a job at Boeing, but I actually were doing both jobs, both Boeing, training athletes, um, for 10 years. 
10 years you had yeah. two jobs. Do you do what your dad told you? You, you were just, you, you were doing more than the, the average person. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I had a, I'm, I'm no longer training athletes now because of, you know, as my job, as I progressed in my day job, you know, you really don't have time to do that anymore. But I still mentor the one, my old ones who, because now the ones I first started training, they're 24, 25, making me feel mm-hmm. old, 26, 27 years old now. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're still calling me, contacting me. Hey, what do you do with this? Can you help me with my resume, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a new phase of mentoring I have with those athletes I had back in the day. I love that. You're still giving back. You're still investing. But, you know, I'm thinking about this training of, of the athletes and, and walking with them. And you spent 10 years doing that. That probably helps you a lot in what you do right now. As, yes, sir. As chief, you know, is what you do with, with Dynetics. What do you do with Dynetics? Yeah, so I'm the chief of staff for the Dynetics president, uh, Steve Cook. Um, basically, I, my job is to take his strategy and help implement it across all the senior VPs and junior VPs and program managers across across the group of our 4,100 employees to help take that strategy and implement it across the group. And help. my job is to make sure Steve is successful doing his job. That, right? That's amazing. <laughs> if that's not training and coaching, I don't know what it is. It takes a lot. Yep. You, you've shared with me offline a bit about how you've had to learn to influence uh, effectively yeah. without truly having or, and without using the leverage yeah, that, you could, Steve, that yeah. you could pull that right, that lever. Uh, tell me about that. Is that is that something you came by naturally or is that something you are learning? I, I've, a little bit of both. I think initially uh, me and you talked about how you cannot approach each person the same. They all have different personality and character traits. And I, I think naturally I'm, I'm pretty good at that of knowing, okay, I can talk to Larry this way, but I can't talk to Steve this way. And mm-hmm. I can't talk to Jonathan this way and this person that way, et cetera, et cetera. But then I'm still learning. And then me and you talk month, on a monthly basis and a little bit more than a monthly basis, still learning on, all right, how do I get this senior VP who's been, been doing this job 20, 25, 30 years longer than I have and get them to say, hey, I need this by and COB today, by close of business today, or I need this by end of this week type deal. And so just learning how to build that relationship. And when you talked about it, I, I realized I got to build relationships with everybody. That's right. You know, if I build that relationship, it's easy for me to go in Ronnie's office and say, hey, Ronnie, can you help me out? I need this real quick. I need this before it's X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times you kind of get a better response doing that. So kind of what me and you talked about and what I'm working on is building relationships across the board, across that executive team, Mm -hmm. right? Finding that connection, whether it's Jonathan with basketball or Ronnie with Alabama, you know, or Artie, he's from uh, the Massachusetts area and that's where my family's from. And and just being able to, and Mike, you know, Mike Rooney and me, I love Mike Rooney. He's he's hilarious to me. I Mm -hmm. had a great time when I'm at Dave King's house. But but building that relationship across so it is easier to get things and work with them, et cetera. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Kevin, you have you learned the secret early on in your life. You, and, you know, we use the analogy of a line, horizontal line above the line. That's yep. where our people skills and relationships mm-hmm. lie and below the line are task. And you learned early on that you've got to put in that work below the line yeah. because you did that, because you have your degrees, because you were disciplined that your dad taught you early on that standard. You earn the right now to work on those relationships so that you can be now more effective even below the line. Yeah. So you, you've earned the right to focus above the line mm-hmm. a bit because you work so hard below. It takes both. You have to learn how to lead below the line yes, and sir. above the line, right? Yep. And you are an example of that. You know, talk about coaching. I, I've observed in, in my life there are there are a lot of people who, who might listen to a coach or who might say, you know, I want to – but there are fewer people 
who will take that coaching and execute it. Yeah. And you are amazing at that. You, you you listen so well, but then, man, you take it and you put it into action, and, and that's beautiful. And I think this part of your journey of leadership is about learning how to lead at that executive yes, level, sir. right? Yeah, definitely, 100%. So uh, we could visit all day, but I want to ask you just a couple more questions okay. if, you, yeah. if we can do that. Um, the first is, so, Kevin, what, what are you thinking in terms of, career what's next for you not that you're living in the future but you've got to be thinking about your life Um, what's next for you you know i I have aspirations and career goals like everybody else and you know and the chief of staff is a rotational position okay and so basically you roughly around 12 to 18 months they're just depending on what opportunities come up but my next thing is i would love to be a vice president that would be my next step is become the vice president i'm at a director level now uh, become a vice president and run a division, right? Where that's where you have multiple programs. You're, you're responsible for profit and loss, et cetera. Like I would love to help guide program managers and programs to success and lead people and, you know, both help help them, you know, internally and externally, internal on the job and external on their lives. And like you said, share different experiences and help them grow. And those people help me grow. You know, a lot of times I walk in the room, I'm the youngest person. I'm the only African-American. So a lot of times, I, you know, I could feel like I'm behind already. Right. Mm. So, you know, be able to give those experiences of how I've overcame that Mm. can help people indirectly. So even if it is a, you know, white male or something like that, they can use that. Oh, you know, this is where he became uncomfortable. And this is how because their uncomfortable situation could be something different. Mm. Right. It could be them walking in a room with nothing but government personnel, whatever that is. Right. And so taking my experience and then being able to apply that and help them out and vice versa. Right. You know, Kaizen, you always want to be learning. That's my big thing. I always want to be learning. So let me grab from them as well as much as they can grab from me going forward. Listen to this young man. He, he says that he wants to continue to grow so that he can give back. He, he wants to grow so he can help others to understand what he's gone through and how he has gotten comfortable by with un, being uncomfortable and the things he's learned and when he's on, the only African-American in the room and, and, and to teach that to those around him. Uh, that is what leadership looks like. That is beautiful, Kevin. And, and, and you, you know, first of all, you're gifted because you have the ability to execute at that program management level and understand that. But at the same time, you have those people skills that allow you to lead those people. And, and you have an incredibly bright future. I want to go back and, and ask you that you said what I heard you say just then is you really in order to, to be successful, you do have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking as an African American, a lot of times I'm walking in these rooms, especially the higher I go up, I'm the only African American walking in the room. <laughs> I can imagine. Right? Or there might be just one or two others in a room of 10, 15, right. 20 people. Right. I, I had a meeting, you know, 70 people came in, I was the only African American. So, but I can't stand there and allow that to bring me down, allow that to shut me down, shut me up. A lot of people get quiet. Did you say 70? 70. And you were the only one? I'm the only one. <laughs> wow. And so, a lot of people get quiet, right? Or they shut down and be like, well, I, no. Don't get quiet. Be confident of who you are. You worked your butt off to be in that That's room. That's right. You worked your butt off to be in that room. Be confident in who you are and speak with intelligence. Be articulate and make sure, you know, you're included and everybody's included. And if you make everybody else comfortable, then you start to be comfortable. Mm. Such great wisdom. Here's my question, though. Kevin, there are a lot of, of, of young leaders, young men and women, uh, minorities, who are trying to figure this out. We, we, we're in such a volatile time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, if I can speak honest with you, I, I think it's easy for all of us to excuse or to justify yeah. whichever side yeah. of this issue you want to you want to land on. 
But neither one of those are effective, and you found that out, and you've become successful, and you continue to, to, to be who you are, but also do the things you need to do to be successful. What would you tell these young people who are looking at you to say, help us, what do we need to know? Uh, a couple things, if it's all right with you. I know Please do. I don't yes. know if we're having time. One, one I mentioned earlier is Kaizen, always improve. You know, you get to a point and like, ah, I made it. No, continue to learn, continue to work on your craft, continue to read books, continue to study, continue to read, uh, watch podcasts or listen to podcasts, continue to go to seminars. You want to walk into that room and be comfortable and, and grasp being uncomfortable. You have to be still learning. Mm. You can still learn with different environments. Mm. So really focus on that. The second one, this one's going to come off really harsh. I mean, you talked about it the first time. No one cares what you're going through. <laughs> and. Not to say I can't like my boss, Steve, love Steve to death. It's not like Steve doesn't care what I'm going right. through. But when it comes to that point of it where we got to execute, if I'm having issues at home or, you know, I have a flat tire, et cetera, no one cares about that when you walk into that conference room and you have to perform and make that presentation or whatever that is or turn in this that, uh, piece of work or scope by the end of the week. No one cares that you mm. went through that, what you went through that week. So you get, you have to grasp that because a lot of people, I hear excuses all the time. Well, Oh, I'm going through this. I get it. I understand. I hate that for you. And let's talk about that. You know, however, if you can't do it, you need to let me know you can't do it. That's right. Right. Versus give me something that, you know, it's not, it's not the product we need to be successful. And so I learned that early. No one cares. And, and I probably learned that in college from college football. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anything, you get hurt, up, get out next man up. Right. That's right. So coming in and just saying, all right, I gotta be able to, you know, compartmentalize, mm. you know, the job, my life, mm. my family, et cetera, in certain situations. And then there are times where, hey, Steve, can I come talk to you? Or, hey, or you got to be open, have a your door open policy. Say, I'm going through this. All right, now let's sit down and talk about it. Mm. You got to be able to have both. Yes. But when it comes to being successful at a job, you got to be able to compartmentalize and really focus on that and be successful. So those are kind of my two big things. Continue Huge. learning and no one cares. No one cares. Right? I don't know where you got such wisdom at your age, but uh, you're probably, just, probably uh, my parents and my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're spot on and you're spot on. And can't thank you enough for thank being you. here today. Yes, I appreciate you you being vulnerable, kind of sharing your life and, and giving to others in this way. And you have an incredibly bright future ahead of you. And I'm looking forward to that, to walking with you and seeing what all you're going to do and going to accomplish. And I really appreciate you taking some time. And you just look so good, You're putting on camera. You gotta look good, right? <laughs> well no, I really appreciate you having me, Larry. This is I was so excited about this experience. I've told all my friends and family. So thank you again. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate what you do on a daily basis for me personally. Mm -hmm. So thank you every thank you for everything. Thanks, Kevin. Yes sir. I hope you could sense the character of, of the person in this interview. I, I hope you could sense the authenticity of, of Kevin and his pure heart for, for wanting to learn and grow and, and give back. Uh, it, it really is rare uh, in young leaders today, and he has worked hard to get to where he is. He, he refused to allow excuses to hold him back. Uh, he said he got comfortable being uncomfortable. Great raising by his dad, if you will, and his mom, and and just teaching him the uh, the importance of, he says, the, to work hard for what you want, to have discipline. Uh, and, and his dad, he loved the word. His dad set the standards and, and wouldn't accept what uh, it wouldn't accept anything less than what he knew Kevin could accomplish. And the result we see, um, chief of staff. Or incredibly uh, growing large 
company, and uh, and then his future is so bright. So much more for for this for this young leader. It was a joy to to talk with him, to learn from him, to be inspired by him. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed meeting Kevin. Thank you for taking the time to do so. Thanks for hanging out with us as we cross the line in order to make a difference. We're looking forward to seeing you on our next episode of our podcast, Crossing the Line. Take care.